1: Good morning, good morning, welcome. Uh, welcome to Cross Point. We're so glad you're here if this is your first time. Uh, and greetings to those joining us online. We hope that one day you will join us in the third dimension, because uh, it's always a little bit better. The fourth dimension, I don't know about that. Uh, I'm not making any promises. Uh, some of you know me. My name is Micah. Some of you know me with more hair, uh, so don't be surprised, it's still me. Micah, uh, um, if you brought your Bible this morning, this thing, we are continuing with our With Joy from Prison series. And I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. And so during the series this far, we've been inviting cross-pointers to bring Bibles because there's something so amazing about actual paper about immersing ourselves into the physical book as a community as we look at a specific book of the Bible, in this case, Paul's letter to the believers in Philippi. So if you need a copy, uh, raise your hand, and one of our ushers would be glad to give you one. And if you're new to church, uh, your table of contents will be near the front of your Bible, and Philippians will be near the end in the New Testament. All right, does that sound great? Awesome. Well, we will be hanging out around the end of Philippians chapter 1, Verse 27. So if you need a Bible, just put your hand up and they will run to you and throw it. And we'll see if you can catch in while I watch. No, I'm kidding. Um, But let me start today by telling you this uh, before you find your place in the Bible. I've been so very reflective lately as we've been reading through Philippians. Um, Recently, I was having coffee with my father and he was telling me about his dad. And so my grandfather was a train engineer. And uh, I've come to admire his life and his work. And so a train engineer always has these uh, four guiding principles that they can be sure of. And uh, they are power, direction, a clear path, and a final destination, really simply. Uh, And I imagine his faith was as devout and straightforward as that. And although... uh, you know, I, he died at the age of 50. I believe that he's lived the fullest life a man could. His life was short, but worthwhile. And so, at 2.45 a.m. on April 23, 1968, my grandfather suddenly died in a tragic train accident. He was an engineer on the lead engine of a 97-car CN cargo train, traveling across the Birdtail Sioux First Nation in rural Manitoba. And it happened on a bridge over the Birdtail Creek, about 20 kilometers southwest of Bertle, Manitoba. And as his engine crossed in the middle of the night, the bridge collapsed from under him. Four engines and 22 cars plummeted into the ravine below. The result was this, this mass carnage of twisted steel and a fury of diesel fuel and flame. And so three of the five crew members from Saskatchewan died at the scene. Two were found in the wreckage, burnt beyond recognition. Their names were Alfred Varga, who was 40 years old. Herbert Daggerstad, 36 years old. And my grandfather, whom I would never know, Robert Emerson, 50 years old. And you see, my father was only 14 years old when his dad died. And all I have of him are in pieces. I have stories and pictures and this gravestone. His epitaph reads, until we meet again. Those words for us that just hang there. They sting with our grief and they speak of longing and the small glimmer of a future hope. For us, he was taken far too soon. We imagine the life he would have lived if he had survived that night. But tragically, the world crumbled beneath him and it swallowed him whole. But you know it's amazing? Could you imagine living and dying with the certainty in which my grandfather worked as a train engineer? Power, direction, a clear path, and a final destination. I don't know about you, but I'm not as sure about the purpose and direction of my life sometimes. Not like I imagine my grandfather was. And so now I've been thinking about it a lot. And so as we read in Philippians, if you were with us last week, Paul says, To live is Christ, and to die is gain. In other words, if we have a singular pursuit, and it's following Jesus, both life and death are possibilities not only accepted, but eagerly embraced by those who love him. See, the truth is, I will die one day. And I'll finally be in the presence of the one I've pursued for so long, Jesus himself. But the thing I fear the most right now is living. See, if I'm fortunate enough to live until a ripe old age, what meaning would my life have? I've been asking myself, what would I want to be written on my gravestone? I think that if I were to put you on the spot today, you'd struggle to find the words. How do you describe a life well-lived? What should be etched in our gravestones? Let me ask you this what is a worthy life is a a worthy life a fistful of dollar bills some instagram followers and wild adventures or is it a worthy life gauged by the size of your biceps like this guy Uh, this guy is known as the egyptian popeye he's the world record holder for the largest biceps around or look at this picture if we construct go back yep construct the largest sandwich in the world can we die happy some of you are like yeah i think so or is a worthy life the sum of our lifetime achievements does it revolve around our family and being a good person does a worthy life end well you see paul shares a clear understanding to us of what it means to live a worthy life so let's dig into the text, starting with verse 27. And so Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, "'Only yet let your manner of life "'be worthy of the gospel of Christ, "'so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, "'I may hear of you that you are standing firm "'in one spirit, with one mind, "'striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, "'and not frightened in anything by your opponents. "'This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, "'but your salvation in that from God.'" For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. You see, for Paul, the worthy life was always spent. It was never preserved, but it was always worth it. Paul knew the reality of the worthy life, and he knew the Philippians would face opposition and resistance They would suffer like he was. And so Paul reveals the first mark of the worthy life in verse 27. He said, Stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul knew that such a stand would cause them suffering. He knew this would be a challenge for the believers in Philippi. They would experience the same hardships that Paul and his companions experienced in Philippi. But what, what were these oppositions and resistance uh, that they've uh, faced in Philippi? Well, let's take a look. Because it's essential for us to understand what sufferings we, the Philippians are sharing with Paul in this text. So let's take a brief look at Acts 16, and you can follow along on the screen. So now, when Paul and his companions landed in Philippi, they had some instant ministry success. You know, God opened the heart of this merchant lady, Lydia, and she believed Paul's message and her entire household was baptized. And then Paul freed a slave girl who was possessed by a spirit and forced to tell fortunes. And at this point, people started to lose their patience with Paul and his friends. So let's jump into the story right there, starting in verse 19, and you can follow along. But when the slave girl's owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. And having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Can you imagine that? You've just been beaten up, humiliated, and thrown into prison. Paul and Silas caused this commotion, and yet they sing. To them, it was worth it. It was 10 out of 10, 100%. They would do it again. And their opponents could damage their bodies and even their pride. But nothing would eclipse the joy of experiencing someone meet Jesus for the first time and come to believe in him as their Savior and Lord. Have you been there when that's happened? Isn't it amazing when someone comes to know Jesus for the first time? And so they sing. And what's funny in this story is that later on, even their jailer comes to know Jesus. And so Paul knew that these believers would now suffer like he did. He knew that the worthy life was always spent. It was never preserved, and it was always worth it. So he encourages the Philippians to stand firm, side by side. In the power of one spirit and with the clarity of one mind to strive side by side. And immediately this would remind these Philippians of the Roman legions who practiced battle formations at the edge of town. See, Roman legionnaires were known for their tactical warfare. Foot soldiers would advance on the field shoulder to shoulder, like a shield of or wall of shields. And they approached the enemy like a single organism. And Not one single foot or weapon was out of synchronization, and their union was like terrifying, but at the same time kind of mesmerizing. It was like they had one spirit and one mind. And so when the enemy engaged the Roman legionnaires in hand-to-hand combat, they would hold the line at all costs. The ground would not be taken. They would patiently take ground and press for every inch of earth and if there was no advance the soldiers would stand firm and hold the line no matter the cost they would preserve that tactical advantage because it demonstrated the legion's determination it validated their claim to victory they stood firm side by side and as a roman soldier standing there beside your brothers holding that line was everything it was worth it because roman legionnaires were just soldiers they were symbols of rome's empirical conquest like the hard-won campaign that won philippi the gate to asia minor their pride and joy see they were representatives of rome by either birth or allegiance you know some mercenaries could swear an oath to rome and they could earn their citizenship after a lifetime on the battlefield and after a lifetime of bloodshed the veterans of philippi were not only representatives of rome they were wholly devoted to the empirical cult of the Lord Emperor Nero and so that devotion made them suspicious of anyone who would devote themselves to another master to another Lord and so they would see these Christians as a threat to the Empire and they counted it a privilege to suffer and defend for the cause of Rome but in the same way Paul encourages the Philippian believers to stand firm side by side and as if they were one in mind and in spirit as the holy spirit empowered them in tune with the motives of christ contending for the gospel and representing their heavenly home see it was likely that the merchant lydia and the slave girl and the jailer and all the other believers in philippi at the time were already experiencing suffering like paul as he wrote this letter so paul encourages them not to waver but to stick together He invites them into the worthy life to not only believe in Christ, but to spend their lives for the sake of Christ. Later on in chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul writes, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. See, for Paul, the worthy life was always spent. It was never preserved, and it was always worth it. And you're living it when you stand firm, side by side with your brothers and sisters in Christ, with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the clarity of the mind of Christ. But see... Angry Romans weren't the only problems the Philippians had. Uh, Let's keep reading together in chapter 2, starting with verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, Paul says, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do not nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, Paul has more to teach us about the worthy life. Paul is saying that spending our lives for Jesus' sake is worth it because of all that God has done for us since we first believed Jesus has given us courage. God has lavished his love upon us. The Holy Spirit has changed us from the inside out. As a result of all that we have received in Jesus, Paul reveals the next mark of the worthy life. And so this part of Paul's letter reveals that the Philippians' problems weren't just external, but within the community of believers, within them. And this certainly wasn't the only church that Paul wrote to that had these kind of problems because the believing community isn't perfect. Before long, our cracks start to show. And with the hardship that churches face, trials tend to tease out our true motives. Have you ever questioned someone's motives? Okay, so confession time. Around the office, I'm a bit of a prankster here at CrossPoint. I know some of you find that hard to believe if you know me. Um, but after a while, my patient coworkers, mostly the girls, begin to question my motives. And I'm sorry, Amanda, by the way. Um, just gonna say that. Uh, <laughs> I must confess that, you know, this has kind of uh, caused a str- or a, a trust issue. You know, do they trust me? Do I have their interests in mind? Or am I just looking for a laugh? And see, among the Philippian believers were some people with the wrong motives. And it was beginning to show. Whatever the reasons for joining this marginalized group of Jesus followers, they didn't reflect the mind of Christ. And maybe you know somebody who has mixed up their priorities. Maybe that person is you. Sometimes we get off track. And so to these people, Paul says, if you have truly experienced the power of the gospel, if you have found encouragement in Christ, and if you have comfort in the love of God, if you have experienced the life-transforming gospel and the Holy Spirit, then they are to complete his joy by being of same mind and the same love and being in one of court and of one mind. Just for good measure, he says mind a second time. Because the good news of Jesus has given you hope and transformed your life paul challenges them to completely fill him with joy by sharing the same things that he shared with them the love of god found in the person of jesus christ by the power of the holy spirit but let's un- unpack this we're using some languages not very accessible what does it mean to have the same mind and love and to be of one accord well you know let's think of our lives as a tree As followers of jesus we're not going to get away from this image simply when we hear the gospel the holy spirit plants the seed of the gospel in us and the holy spirit convinces us it's true and causes that seed to grow and the tree of our lives start to bud with fruit as the gospel transforms how we think we begin to have the mind of christ we start to think like him we begin to see how he sees we begin to act like he acts, and we begin to bear good fruit, like the love of Christ, for example. And our motivations entirely change. How do our motivations change? Well, Paul says they do nothing out of selfishness or conceit. Instead, we're, we're marked with humility. Counting others is more significant than ourselves, because the worthy life is spent, never preserved, and it's always worth it. So Paul invites us to live the worthy life through the transformational power of the Holy Spirit who changes our minds, humbles us, and we start to see others as more important than ourselves. I know it's easy for me to say we should stand up for our faith and love people as Jesus does, but Paul digs deeper than that. He wants to go deeper with us There's still more to discover about the worthy life. So let's keep reading, starting at verse 5. Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even Death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. See, Paul reveals the final mark of the worthy life by presenting the example of how Christ spent his. See, the new minds we have in Christ change how we think and see, yes, that's true. But it is the life of Jesus that shows us how we should act and what we should do. Because sometimes there's this disconnection of how we think and how we act, right? Have you ever been there? This cognitive dissonance. But our union with Christ is demonstrated in living like him in every way. The fruit of Christ's union with his heavenly father was a life of surrender. He was humiliated. He emptied himself. He sacrificed. He was a servant. He was obedient. See, this is the pattern of the worthy life that Paul is encouraging us to follow. See, Paul reveals to us the worthy life is an imitation of the life of Jesus in every way. Living in the manner This manner would be worthy of the gospel and magnify the person of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. To empty yourself, like Jesus did, requires complete surrender. You know, Jesus was decimated for us. Let me explain. The word decimate doesn't mean what you think it means. You know, commonly people uh, believe that decimate means to be utterly destroyed or wiped out. But that's just not the case. Let me teach you something. The word decimate comes from the Latin word decimus, which means the 10th. And so, guys, when you think about Maximus Decimus Meridius from Ridley Scott's blockbuster, Gladiator, this is that word, the 10th, decimus. His name means Maximus, the 10th of Meridia, which is in Spain. Isn't that cool? That's the only thing you take today. I'm happy. But there's more, there's more. The word decimate has a gruesome historical background. See, in Roman military, it was common for mutinous and disobedient legionaries to be brutally punished. And in the most most brutal cases, a legion was exiled from the camp and divided in in groups of ten men. And then each group of ten men would cast lots. And the unlucky soldier who lost the lottery would then be beaten to death by the other nine. And so, yes, this was intended to be a punishment for them all. And in some cases, poison was used for expediency. Because let's, let's move this along. we got a lot of people to kill today. And so, Romans have this rich history of using poison. The emperor, Nero, loved to use poison on his family members. And so, during unique circumstances like this, an entire unit of soldiers can consume a cup of poison together as their punishment and then they would slowly suffer a horrific death in solidarity but in a feat of passion the ranking officer could drink all the poison himself and surrender his life for his men's so in the same way jesus was decimated for us He paid the requirement for the sins of mankind. And while we heaped insults and blows upon him, while we were his enemies, in an epic feat of love, he surrendered his life for us. He lay aside his entitlement and his crown. He was humiliated. He surrendered his life and consumed the entirety of the cup of God's wrath so we could be saved. He did it for us. See, Jesus was willing to be the 10th man. Are we willing to spend our lives with that degree of surrender? Trading our life for another's. See, it seems to me that the greatest challenge believers have today with the worthy life is our entitlement. But the worthy life is always spent. It's never preserved. It's always worth it. See, entitlement is this prominent challenge in our North American world. We find it on television and in the therapist's office. Entitlement is at the root of privilege and right. Our personal belief that we inherently deserve exceptional treatment and options. So let me ask you, are we sketches of Jesus or caricatures of entitlement? Well, let me explain. There's a character from the popular animation Shrek that reeks of entitlement. Let me introduce to you Lord Maximus Farquad. Some of you know him, but Lord Farquad is is the short, self-obsessed, and ruthless ruler of the kingdom of Duloc. And to make a story short, in Farquad's pursuit of perfection, he attempts to rid the kingdom of fairy tale creatures, offering a bounty for their capture. But because Farquad is not of royal blood, he cannot become the king until he marries a princess. And so he decides that the Princess Fiona would be his perfect wife and queen. But she first must be rescued. Rescued from her tower, which is guarded by a fire-breathing dragon. And so unwilling to perform the rescue himself, Farquaad holds a tournament to discover the knight who will rescue Fiona for him. And so Farquaad gathers his bravest knights together for a competition. And the knights are placed inside their arena to duel against each other until one of them is left standing. And the prevailing knight will have the honor of going out on Lord Farquaad's behalf to rescue Fiona. And Farquaad himself, a coward, offers the following inspirational speech to the knights before they turn against each other in the arena. He says, Brave knights, you are the best and brightest in the land. Today one of you shall prove himself. That champion shall have the honor, no, no, the privilege to go forth and rescue the lovely Princess Fiona from the fiery keep of the dragon the winner if in for any reason the winner is unsuccessful the first runner-up will take his place and so on and so forth some of you will die but this is a sacrifice I am willing to make Are we more like Lord Farquaad than Jesus? I wonder, Crosspoint, if some of us are stuck in our faith journey because we think the worthy life is reserved for other believers. That only some believers are called to imitate Christ in every way, to suffer and sacrifice. Should Jesus be humbled while we are not? See, Jesus did not see his divine right to the throne of heaven as his, and his equality with God as something to be tightly grasped that he couldn't descend to earth and become a man and die like a criminal for us. He set aside his crown and it was in his humiliation that God glorified him. And so his name was lifted up and it became the name above all names. He emptied himself of all his rights to live the worthy life. The worthy life it's always spent, it's never preserved, and it's always worth it. And Jesus spent his life for you. We live it when we empty ourselves of selfish ambition and surrender our lives for others. Will you surrender those rights? The truth is that we'll never know Christ's passion for us until we surrender our lives for others. Until we have shared in the sacrifice he has made. For Paul, his life was a reenactment of the story of Jesus. And there he found a close awareness of Christ's presence and love. That filled him with joy. That made it worth it. So then how shall we spend our lives? Well, Paul provides us with three principles for the worthy life that we might live by. Simply the first one is that the worthy life is spent sharing the gospel. See, the good news of Jesus is worth sharing. Whether we face opposition or division or sacrifice or suffering, whether we're free or in change, whether in life or in death, we stand firm as living proof that the gospel is powerful and true. We represent the advancing kingdom of God in the right now and the not yet. The worthy life is spent sharing the gospel. And second, the worthy life is spent elevating others the good news of jesus has changed our lives and in christ we have found hope and love and when we surrender to his will we find fruit growing in our lives we discover unimaginable sources of love joy and peace and patience and kindness we find it within ourselves to be gentle have faith and conduct ourselves with self-control And most importantly, when we see other people, we see them through the filter of Christ's love and we want to elevate them above ourselves. The worthy life is spent elevating others. And finally, and most importantly, the worthy life is spent in surrender. We imitate Christ in every way. Not just through our faith and words, but with our actions. Not just... In those ways, we put aside our rights and empty ourselves or a selfish ambition for the sake of others. We seek to serve others just like Christ served us first, and we accept humiliation for the cause of Jesus in any form or severity, even if it costs us our lives. And so Crosspoint today, I want to give you the opportunity to respond to the message in prayer. And like we've been doing the last couple of weeks, uh, we'll close this morning. We're going to have a few minutes of corporate reflective prayer. And as you pray, I'd like you to consider a couple of questions. First, consider what it would look like for you to live in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus. And second, how can you follow the pattern of Jesus' life? what would that look like a life worthy of the gospel and after the pattern of Jesus now let's turn our attention to the living God he's present here and he is not silent he is for us and not against us whatever is on you on your shoulders today bring it to him he can handle it we're gonna take a couple minutes to pray and then afterwards, I will come and commission you to go as we usually do. But let me say this. Now, some of you may have a specific prayer this morning. And our prayer, prayer team is going to be on the left side, your right, uh, to pray with you for that specific prayer. And I want to challenge you to come and join us, no matter what that is. Because there's no, there's no stigma to prayer. We all need prayer sometimes. So you can come now while we're even doing reflective prayer. If it it can't wait, we're here for you to pray with you. But let me pray as we close. Lord God, we just thank you for your life, that you gave it for us. We thank you that you give us a clear pattern and how to live, that you renew our minds and change everything. We're just so thankful that you are close and present. That is our joy we are just starting to discover how passionate and how much you love us through your sacrifice and the sharing of it. We ask that you do something amazing in the lives of these people today as they go. And we love you for it. Amen.
0: Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in northeast Edmonton, and you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, It's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.